You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, Brother Jim Davidson, as you know, he's our resident Rock of Ages missionary, been preaching in the prisons now for a number of years. And even with all the health problems he's had, he still gets out there and preaches. How many times did you preach this last week? And how many days? And how many did you have saved? How about that? Well, amen. Praise the Lord. 30 years old in the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll tell you, every chance he gets, he's in the prison. Amen. It's where he belongs. Amen. No, I'm talking about winning the loss. That's what I'm talking about. Come on now. <laughs> Evidently, they know you too well. That's all I can say. All right, Colossians chapter 3. I want you to notice a few things as we're reading through this passage. He says, first of all, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things. Notice, seek. That's a command. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections. That's a command. Set your affections on things above not on things of the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, another command. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake... The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off, another command, all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, notice, put on, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, another command, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on, another command, charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let, another command, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let it. To the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to start 
2023, right. There's really no excuse for every believer. There's really no excuse not to have a victorious year. Now, I'm not talking about the name it and claim it crowd. I'm not talking about how you can manipulate God to do certain things for you. But the truth is, regardless of what it is in your life, you know, those sins and weights that so easily beset us, those things that get in the way, there is no excuse for us to be enslaved by them. And the answer is found in the Word of God for God's people. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, I get troubled when I see people make professions of faith, but there's no change. I know it made a change in my life. As I read of salvations of people in the Scripture, it made a change in their lives. I know a bunch of Christians that when they got saved, their testimony, they can tell you the change that God made in their lives. They didn't make the change. God made the change when he saved them. But now to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, for instance, according to 1 Peter, there are some things that we are, we are to add to our faith. And here in this passage, we find that for those of us who've been born again, there are decisions that we have to make. We don't have to be chained to those weights or sins that so easily beset us. There is victory. I believe that with all my heart. What's amazing to me, we have gotten like the world and we brought the world's philosophies and the world's psychology into the church to tell us that all those problems that we have are really not our fault. We just need more people to help us. No, what we need to do is obey the Lord. God's word is right. You don't understand, preacher. You don't understand how I feel. It is not about your feelings. I want you to get this. It is not about your feelings. It's about obedience to the Lord. We live in a day where everybody wants to tell you why they fail. And because after all, they can't, if we're in the South, hip it. We just can't hip it. It's not our fault. No, it is our fault. God's given a scripture to tell us how to operate decisions that we need to make, things that we need to do that are our responsibility. And if we don't obey him, then we can expect whatever it is that we get. Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now, I know I've gotten on this kick lately about the difference between feelings and truth. Church is to be a truth encounter. It's not about your feelings. It's about truth. How you handle the truth. God's given us the truth. There's power in the gospel of Christ. There is power in the word of God. There is power in the Holy Spirit of God. And I do not believe we need to add psychology in order to get well. We have what we need in the word of God from our God. And we've got the Holy Spirit of God living within us. That is, if you're saved. If you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. I want you to notice a few things. First of all, the condition that demands action. Notice he starts out, if then, if ye then be risen with Christ. 
if ye be risen with Christ. That basically gets down to this. If you're not risen with Christ, then this is not going to be true for you. If he be risen with Christ. Now, to be risen with Christ, that tells us something then about the crucifixion, being dead and being made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. As a matter of fact, we're going to refer back over to uh, Romans chapter 6 a couple of times. I want you to get this. Notice beginning in verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, I want you to notice this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We have no excuse. I'm talking about those who are risen with Christ. Those who have accepted his death, burial, and resurrection as the final payment for their sin. They are now risen with Christ. And he says that henceforth we should not serve sin. We have what we need right here. This is part of him making us a new creature. Notice verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. No wonder the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die, how often? Daily. Daily. It's going to take a walk of closeness with the Lord, recognizing what you have in Christ. He doesn't say that I die, I died once for all time. He said, I die daily. As a matter of fact, in the passage that we read, if you notice verse 5, he says, mortify therefore your members. You see, I've got these members that desire certain things. If you want to know how sorry every one of us are, and as I look around here, I see everybody here has got flesh on you. Now, it may be different colors, it may be different shades, all of that, but that doesn't have anything to do with the power of the flesh. The flesh is the flesh. And if you turn back just a couple pages over to Galatians chapter 5, He tells us about what the flesh does. Notice he says in verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Well, what are the works of the flesh? Notice verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so I've got this flesh on me. Why do I die daily? Why is the old man crucified with him and I need to die daily? I need to count myself as dead in Christ and walk in newness of life. 
Because I've still got this flesh on me. You've still got it on you. And notice the promise that he gives us down there in verse, uh, let's see, in verse, uh, verse 25. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We go back to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, I lost my verse. I should have written it down. Um, Okay, verse 16 of chapter 5. That's what I want. Verse 16 of chapter 5. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. So if we are fulfilling the lust of our flesh in our life, what's the problem? The problem is not God. The problem is not what he did for you in salvation. The problem is you are not walking in the Spirit. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he says, first of all, if you be risen with Christ, if you are not saved, you will not have the power for this to walk as you ought as a child of God. But if you are saved, this is for you. If ye be risen with Christ, the initial decisions then that must be made are these. You've got to make this decision. Seek the things that are above. I do believe there are some people that get saved that never seem to go much farther than that because they don't make up their mind to seek the things that are above. What are the things that are above? Well, a closer walk with Jesus, obviously. You'd want to seek his word. That's from above. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Seek the things that are above. The Bible puts it this way in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 when he says... Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, if you're lost, it's one thing to always be seeking more money, more houses, uh, more power, more fun, more things, more games, more all of that. But I tell you what, if you're saved and you want to have a successful walk, seeking God and his righteousness needs to be first, not second, not third. It needs to be first in your life. I believe you seek him first, you'll have a good relationship with your wife and with your children. But if you seek a good relationship with your wife and children first, you will not have that relationship. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, There are some churches that act like it's all about the family. It's not all about the family. It is all about God. You put him first, not second. Anything you put before him makes you nothing but an idolater. Not only that, then he says, he says, first seek the things that are above. That's a conscious choice to seek the things above. And then he says, set your affections on the things that are above. Well, if you set your affections on something, what do you normally do when you set your affections on those things? For instance, you take a person that has, um, let's say they're into fantasy football. Now, I don't even know how they do the fantasy football. I don't have a clue, and I don't much care about it. But I'll tell you what, a person who seeks fantasy football, I'll tell you what they're doing. That's where their affections are at. They're watching an awful lot of football, number one. They read 
uh, they read newspaper articles, they read ESPN, they watch ESPN, they watch all the fantasy football shows so they know how to get the best players on their teams so they can win. I don't even know how they go about the scoring. I don't have any idea. But anybody that they really like that, and that's what they're living for, and that's what they hang on each week, whether to stay with the latest office pool or whatever, I mean, that's what they're seeking. And if they lose, they're not much fun in that. There's only fun in winning. But that's not where happiness is at. You want to be victorious in your Christian life, you've got to seek the things that are above first. You take a fisherman or a hunter, and I tell you what, man, they're down at Cabela's. They're down at the Bass Pro Shop. They're taking a look at the latest guns and the latest fishing rods and the lures. I mean, they know how to do all the duck calls and the turkey gobbles and all of that to get the game to come in. You know what I mean? I mean, man, they've got the gear. They dress out in camouflage. And they count it. They, they can tell you what day hunting season starts. They can tell you when bow season starts. They can tell you when just grappling the deer by the horns and turn them over when that season starts too. <laughs> However, they're just into it. Why? They've set their affections on it. They've set their affections on it. When I was a kid, I set my affections on baseball. Man, I love baseball. I was all about baseball. I could tell you the batting averages of the different baseball players. I could tell you who were the best shortstops and who were the best first basemen, who were the best hitters and the best fielders. I could tell you all that. Today, I don't care. The team that I used to follow, which was the Detroit Tigers, I'm not one of those fair weather fans, you know. I mean, buddy, I took some teams as my favorite teams back when I was a kid. And now, that's when it was a big deal in my life. I can't tell you three players that plays, for instance, for, any, for the Detroit Tigers today or in the last 10 years. I don't know. They were my team. I, matter of fact, they never win another game. It won't bother me. And I think there's probably a chance of that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, really. I've not set my affection. I've set my affection on other things. I used to love to really bowl. Man, I loved to bowl. And uh, I was a good bowler. All of that. And I made sure I went several. I, matter of fact, I bowled in leagues. I loved bowling. My whole family. My, uh, my dad, my brother. My brother bowled for the Marine bowling team for a while. And uh, that meant he was a prick good bowler, all right? Uh, not because he was a Marine, but just because he bowled all the time. That's, that's what he did. Set his affection on it. He liked it. Now, I'd be scared to death to try to roll the ball down the alley today because if I bend my knees just a little bit, it's crackle, 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 crackle. I don't care. Can't remember the last time I was in a bowling alley. The last time I even rolled a bowling ball... Uh, You know, all those great scores that I had years ago, all those great scores, great games that I had, all of that, it all counts for nothing. He says, set your affections on things above. You've got to set your affection on some things. Well, if you're going to set your affections on it, tell you one thing you're going to do. You're going to be in his word. You're going to want to read his word. If, If you're one of those people, you read the Bible once a week, you haven't set your affections on it yet. You haven't done it. There, man, there are some people, they're all into Louis L'Amour. They make sure that they know all the different books by Louis L'Amour. They've set their affections on the Western books. 
That's what they like. Or they like the old John Wayne stuff. Set your affection on things above. You want to get victory in 2023? Set your affections on things above. You're going to have to be in the Word. After all, you've got the promise of Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's the only time the word success is used in the entire Bible, and it has to do with how you treat the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if you go over to Psalm 1, turn over there a moment, Psalm 1, and we'll begin in verse 1, Psalm 1, and verse 1. Again, this is going to have to do with the Word of God. He begins by saying, First of all, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What does he do with the word of God? He meditates in it. Now, when he does that, what happens? He says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Not only that, if you set your affections on things above and you're going to love his word, you're also going to love holiness. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't know why, but when some people hear the word holiness, they think that that is going to have them just living miserable all their life. Not if you've set your affection on holiness. That's from above. Notice what he says in verse 14, as obedient children. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Where is that written? It's written in the law. It's written in the book of Leviticus more than once. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He told that to Israel. Here in 1 Peter, he tells it to the New Testament church. The reality is he wants his people in the New Testament to walk as holy as he expected the people in the Old Testament to walk. God's not changed a bit. He still wants holiness out of his people. Well, if you're going to set your affections on things above, yes, you're going to set your affections on the Word of God. You're going to uh, set your affections on holiness. You're going to set your affections on the local church. Say, why is that? Well, first of all, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, you don't have a statement in the Bible that says Christ loved the family. Now, he does. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't have any doubt he does because I know he loved me, and I know he loved my wife, so I know he loved my family. Amen. But you don't have a statement saying he loved the family. You do have a statement saying he loved the church. And he gave himself for it. It is the bride of Christ. Not only that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it is the body of Christ. 
How in the world can I say I love Jesus Christ, but I don't love his body? The Bible says in 1 John 3, 14, we know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. If I'm saved, I'm to love the brethren. Well, I, I, I just don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around crowds. I don't much care to be around crowds myself, except a crowd at church, God's body. I love to be in church. And the bigger the crowd, the better. That's fine. I could care less. You know, say, wouldn't you like to go to one of those big college games? No. I don't want to be around that big of a crowd. Crowd of a bunch of cussers and drinkers and people who have absolutely no love for the things that I love. All they love is the sport. And they don't care how they show it and vulgarity and debauchery. But man, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And loving him, I'm going to love his body. See, the Bible says, set your affections on things above. So if you be risen with Christ, if you belong to Jesus and you want to have a victorious Christian life, so many Christians I know are absolutely miserable. He didn't save you for you to be miserable. He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But you're not going to have an abundant life by living like you did when you were lost. Or having your same love for the things that you had when you were lost. Man, we've been redeemed. We've been purchased. So what are some decisions then that we have to make? First of all, he says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Mortify, that is put to death your members that are upon the earth. Treat them as dead. And then what does he define for us in that way? He says fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, these things that I just mentioned here in verse 5, he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. These are things that bring the wrath of God. All right. Say, members, you're dead to that. You can't do it. By the way, you're not going to get victory in that way by feasting your eyes on Internet pornography. You're going to constantly be defeated. You're not mortifying your members. You see, your eyes, they shouldn't be looking at that. When the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, in Proverbs 4.23, he says, first, put away from you a froward mouth, and then he says, let your eyes look right on. The psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Job said, mine eye affecteth my heart. You've got to be careful what you look at. Whether it be internet, whether it be TV, whatever, you've got to be careful what you look at. But that's where covetous comes in. You know, with all these ads that are out there, all the ads are there to try to get you to want something you don't have. I hate to say it, Brother Popwell, but I have bought a lot of things in my life that I didn't need. Have you ever, ever, I bought one one time. The way they advertised it, Brother Pop, when I, these people, some of these people over there, they already know this story. But I want to tell you. <laughs> but 
I like the idea of losing weight without having to change anything. <laughs> Don't have to change what I eat, anything like that. And they advertised this belt you could put on. It, and it had a, an electric shock in it. And the idea of the belt was you put it on and there'd be a little shock go through here and it would tighten up your stomach muscles and then release it. Then tighten them up and release it. Tight. So without you doing anything, just going about your regular day, your stomach's constantly tight and release, tight, release, tight, release. And uh, that's burning calories, they said, and I'd lose weight. Well, I put that thing on. When I turned it on, I didn't realize it was set to full. <laughs> and I, I want to tell you, man, I turned that on and it grabbed me and it didn't release. Ah! Oh, I started ripping at it to get it off. I finally got it off. You know, I still have a pain right here. And it's been, it's probably been 15 years since I did that. Still got that pain right there. I didn't need that. I wore it one time, didn't lose a pound. Infomercials, they know what they're doing. Trying to get me to love being skinny. Well, I'm tired of it. <laughs> After all, the Bible says, he that trusteth in the Lord shall be made fat. And I believe the Bible literally. I believe it means what it says. The reason I've had that weight problem is because somebody, somebody <laughs> reviewed us on Google and said, uh, and said something about, I understand there are things that you're not... that. You don't want your members to do, but if you looked in the mirror to see how fat you are. And I thought, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I'm just blessed in God. I'm trusting the Lord. I feel sorry for you skinny people. <laughs> Men. Anyway, count your body dead to these things right here that are mentioned in this passage. Why? Well, why would you want any of that in your life when God hates those things? If you're setting your affection on things above, you see... The problem is too many of us are setting our affection on things we want, the things that the flesh wants to do, but that's going to get us in trouble doing what the flesh wants us to do. But we, if, if we set our affections on things above, then when those things are fulfilled, there is victory in the walk. But now that's not all. We go on down then to verse 8. But now ye also put off all these... All right, so there are some things then that I need to put off. I've got to put them off. If I don't put them off, I'm going to be troubled with these things. I've got to put them off. That's my choice. If I don't put them off, then I'm going to be constantly defeated in my life. What are those things? First of all, he says anger. Put it off. Wrath. Put it off. Malice. Blasphemy. Saying things to hurt. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that she put off the old man with his deeds. Before I got saved, you've heard me give my testimony before. Before I got saved, I had a foul mouth. When God saved me, he cleaned it up. I'll tell you something else I had. I had a bad temper. And uh, before I got saved, I had a bad temper. I wish I could say that he had taken away my bad temper like he had taken away my foul mouth. He didn't do that. I read here that I'm supposed to put it off. I had to put it off. 
And I thought I made a lot of progress with that. I'll come over here and tell Brother Popwell the story because most of you have heard this too. But I won't do that. I won't embarrass him again like that. But uh, I made, the temper wasn't completely gone, but I, I, I'd done pretty good. And we had a, a good man who's in heaven now, a man there, our church up at Tennessee Ridge. I love to hear him pray. He, he got saved out of the, the ghettos of Flint, Michigan. And, um, and this guy, Howard Nash was his name. Just a good guy. I love to hear him pray because he didn't say the these and the thous and all that stuff. He just talked to the Lord. Whenever I called him to pray, it was like he was, you know, talking to somebody in the auditorium because that's what prayer is, talking to God. And he did that. Well, he had some, he had some teenage kids, and they, they were rebellious. They gave him some real problems, bless his heart. He was single, raising his kids. And here they were, teenagers. And he called me up one night. He was so upset. They, they just weren't paying attention to him. They weren't doing what he said. And so he called me up and said, Pastor, can you come over here and talk to my, my kids? And I said, all right, I'll be over there. So I got my car. I went over to, uh, to his house. I went in, and his three kids were all seated on the couch. And he's telling me about how they were just being rebellious, how they weren't obeying their father, and all of that. Now, we're good so far. But then I happened to look over at the three of them, two boys and a girl, and they're sitting there going, and man, suddenly, it was tunnel vision. I mean, zing, like this. And it turned red. Do you ever just see red? I mean, if there's anything I can't stand is a smart aleck in the face teenager who thinks they know everything when they're nothing but a little rebel brat. And that's what all three of these kids were. And boy, I tell you, and suddenly it just wham. And I said, enough. And I went over to the one boy and I put my finger down in his face and I gave him everything that I had to give him. And then I went to the girl, pointed in her face and I yelled at her. And then I went to the other boy and I pointed in his face and I let him have it. I turned around and I let Howard have it. And uh, he hadn't done anything, just trying to be a dad. And then I stormed out the door. It was about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. I don't know by that time. And, And when I went out, when I used to get angry as a lost person, I'd throw things. And so I had my keys in my pocket, like I got my keys in my pocket right now, and I threw them at my car. Now, I threw it at the grill. I missed. You know, when you're really angry and you try to throw something, you usually don't have a good aim. I didn't have a good aim. I missed. I hit the windshield. And the windshield, you know, slanted like this. And that became a launching pad. At about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, shooting my keys up over the road into a field that was grown up across it. I thought, man. I tell you, if I'd have been smart, if I'd have had keys in the wheel well, I'd have just gotten them, taken off and left, and come back the next day in the daylight and found him, never told anybody, but I didn't have a spare key. And we didn't have cell phones, so I couldn't call my wife to come and get me. And so there's only one thing I could do. I went back to the door. 
I knocked on the door. The oldest boy answered the door and said, Preacher, I said, uh, you got a flashlight? What do you need a flashlight for? Just get me a flashlight. <laughs> I lost my keys. Well, where'd you lose them? Over there somewhere. <laughs> you know, when I threw those, the Lord probably looked at one of the angels and said, watch this. That'll teach him. That'll teach him. The Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And, buddy, that's true. He says you need to put that off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, speaking hurtfully, filthy communications. You better be careful what you repeat. Now, I'll tell you, the really expert Christian gossips, they repeat gossip as a prayer request. The truth is, when you ask somebody to pray for somebody, the person that's going to pray doesn't need to know all the details. Just pray for that individual. The Lord knows all the details, and that is all that matters. Amen? Well, amen. So you got to put off some things. He says, lie not one to another. Put off these things. Well, if you first mortify your members, then you put some things off. And then, well, you got to put some things on. So notice in verse 10, and have put on the new man. I've got to make an effort here to put on the new man. If I want to be victorious, well, does he explain that for us? Yes, he does. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Uh, whose image is that? That's Jesus or God. Either one since he's God. You think of the attributes of Jesus as far as holiness, righteousness, mercy, judgment, grace. That's what I'm to put on. You see, those are not things that the flesh naturally puts on themselves which is renewed in knowledge after the image of... Notice he says in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Stop right there for just a second. Sometimes we like to think that, well, you know, our background, our culture that we come from isn't strong in this area or that area, so that makes it okay. Notice he says in the passage here... He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Christ is the same to each one of those. And it doesn't make any difference what your background is, where you come from. You're to be like Christ. He is your example, no matter what you are. It doesn't make a difference if you're a Yankee or if you're a Southerner. You're just as responsible to obey God and be like Jesus. Now, I know that as Yankees and Southerners and also with different races and different cultural backgrounds and all that, we all have little things in our background, and most of those things aren't good. So to give the excuse, well, I'm just from the South. That's just the way we were in the South. Well, hogwash, he saved you. You're risen with Christ. Come on. He didn't save you to keep you like you were. He 
saved you to be like him. So you got to put on those things in verse 10. And then in verse 12, put on therefore, notice, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And he's not done with putting things on. He says, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, if you want a definition of charity, just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll not take the time to do that tonight. But that's the kind of charity that all of us are supposed to have. Bowels of mercy, that's the innermost heart of mercy. That's not giving people what they deserve. Giving them what they don't deserve. Being godly to them. You know, when he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. You know, Job's three friends all thought they had Job figured out. And uh, they say a lot of things that's true. There are a lot of basic principles that they repeat, that, are re- that they say that are written for us also in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews chapter 12. The problem is they misapplied it. And man, they accused him of all kinds of things that he wasn't guilty of. They thought they were serious, uh, really spiritual and had this thing figured out. They didn't have it figured out at all. But long-suffering. Man, we have trouble sometimes being long. We expect people to be long-suffering with us. But we're to be long-suffering with others, forbearing one another. That's holding up one another, sustaining one another, forgiving one another. That calls for instruction. Look at verse 13 again. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now he's still putting on things. Verse 14, above all things, put on charity. So not only do I have to take off certain things, I've got certain things I need to put on. And then he says, let the word of Christ, or the, uh, I get it, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Are you in the Word of God? You meditate upon it? You memorize it so that you can think about the Word of God even when you're not sitting there with a Bible in your hand? I mean, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God so that it is with you. So you can lay in bed at night and just quote Scripture there. Think about it. What is he saying? That's some of the most precious times when you sit and chew on the word of God and just enjoy its many truths. I, for quite a while, have taken my Bible program. This is only in my office. And I, but I was often reading on my Bible program, uh, reading the scripture, where, you know, you can highlight different passages and stuff like that. And I decided a while back, you know, it's not the same. I decided to just open up a Bible. By the way, that's eco-friendly. 
doesn't take any electricity and read it and just underline verses as they speak to me. And just think about what he's saying in that passage. And I want to tell you what, I'm enjoying just underlining verses in my Bible again. He used to do that all the time. And what's really neat about underlining verses in your Bible, there'll be times when you'll be reading your Bible and you take an extra note of it because you've underlined it in the past. And it makes you just think about it again. I love God's Word. I remember several years ago at a preacher's fellowship, Brother Borf was preaching on the Word of God, and he picked up his Bible. He's talking about loving the Word of God, and he picked up his Bible, and he went like that. A young preacher was seated next to me, and when Brother Borf got done preaching, he said to me, he says, you know, I've never seen anybody ever just kiss their Bible. And it had an impact on that young preacher to not just read it, but to love it. Do you love reading this book? It's God's love letter to you. God's instruction for you. I do believe that sometimes the seminaries... And we've let them steal some things from us. We think that God has a bunch of hidden messages in the scripture. I believe first things first, it was written so that Christians can understand it. He did not write it for the seminary professor. He wrote it for Christians. He wrote it for the Christian with the third grade education. He wrote it for you. I believe, for instance, when the book of Galatians was being read to the congregation that he wrote to, they were expected to understand it as he wrote it. He gave instruction in that book. Instruction that they should have understood when he wrote it. If you don't get that first meaning of the book, you don't need to get into any of the deep stuff because you don't know how to control your interpretation of any of the deep stuff until you understand what it's really saying. And what is he saying? He's saying what he meant. He's saying what they were to get. I guarantee you when the people got done listening to the first Corinthians being read, they understood every bit of it. They understood every rebuke. They understood his rebukes about the division. They understood the rebuke about the man taken in adultery with his father's wife. They understood the rebuke about going to law one against another. They understood the rebuke about fornication. They understood the rebuke about their lifestyle. They understood about Mary's divorce and remarriage. When they got done reading that, they understood what he was saying about not eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. He spends three chapters on it. They understood what he meant when he told them, because he even told them why. That they were to look different when they prayed from the neck up. Men and women were to look different because he made them different. And it's not just the neck up. But get this, even when they're praying, they were to look different from the neck up. God looks on the heart. He sees all of you. He doesn't just see the heart. It's amazing how people like to take that passage dealing with the ordaining of uh, or the choosing of David to be the next king 
And that statement, remember Samuel was surprised because all of his brothers looked better than David. And he couldn't understand. Well, God looks upon the heart. God knows David's heart compared to his brothers. And so he had him choose David. And people want to use that with regards to clothes. And people want to use that with regards to appearance. And yet your appearance does make a difference. It's in the Bible. That's enough for me. I don't need all the philosophical ramifications of it. I know what it says. And what it says makes it very plain. God created men and women differently. He created them differently for a different purpose. (sighs) Expects us to be different. I wasn't going to mention any of that tonight. Now see what you've gone and done. So we're to let the word of God dwell in us richly. And then he says, and whatsoever you do. He says, in the word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Yes, that what we do, we're to do to please him. After all, according to Romans chapter, or Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, we were created for his pleasure. That's why we're on earth. We're to please him. That ought to be our desire. But how can we know if we please him if we don't know his word? His word tells us what pleases him, and that's what we're to do. So mortify your members, put off some things, wrong heart attitudes and actions, put on proper treatment of others, let the peace of God overwhelm you, and let the word dwell within you. And for any man who loves the word of God, he shall not be offended, according to Psalm 119, 165. 2023, it can be a victory year. It can, and if it's not, it's because we're not doing what he told us to do. It's really, as we've said often, it's not rocket science. It's just plain obedience. And you can be everything that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear Lord, deal with our hearts tonight. We don't have to be a defeated people, and we shouldn't be a defeated people. You've saved us. You've redeemed us. You've changed us. You've purchased us, and now we need to mortify some things. and We need to put off some things, and we need to put on some things. And let your word and let your peace have their way in our hearts and lives. Lord, tonight I pray decisions would be made to set our affections on things above to seek the things that are above. And Lord, we'll thank you as you work upon hearts tonight, for we ask it in Jesus' name.